Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center Sermon Audio. Join us this Easter Sunday as Pastor Rob Hastings helps us to find more this Easter. so important it's amazing because we're not just here by chance. You might think even this morning that you had absolute control of where, where you came this morning. But I believe that God is ultimately in control. So welcome again. Welcome to this moment. We're here today. It's Easter Sunday. It's a great day to be in church. We're here with friends and family, even if you don't know it, because we're part of a family here and and God put us together as a family and a crazy family. We are indeed. Amen. As you get to know one another a little bit more, we go, yes, this is a crazy family, you know, but we're, we're not here today by accident. We're really not. God had a plan. And we didn't stumble upon this place in this time, but I believe God has brought every one of us here this morning for a purpose because he has something for each of us. God has something for each of us. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Are you ready to receive what God has for you this morning? I'm going to ask one more time. Are you ready to receive what God has for you this morning? You know, I think we have a much better time receiving when we're ready to receive it. I remember a time I was outside many, many years ago, and I was just outside, and there was a couple of my friends around, and all of a sudden I heard, hey, Rob, and I turned around just in time to get hit in the face with a football, okay? I was not ready to receive that football, you know? In fact, I wish I would have kept looking the other way. It would have hurt a lot less, but, but we have to be ready to receive in order to really receive, and so we want to be ready. We want to get open to receive from God today. What's amazing is, is even though each of us are different, each of us are in a different spot this morning. We have different needs. We have uh, different personalities. You've already learned that even this morning, possibly in talking to somebody new, God can do something for each one of us this morning. Every one of us, God can do something different for each one of us. He's able to do that. I don't know how, about you, but if you've ever been to a church service and a message is preached and this happens, people come to me and say, oh, the message was wonderful. And I say, well, what did you get out of it? And they tell me something. I said, I don't remember saying that. Somebody else comes up and says, oh, this, that was a great message. And well, what'd you get? And they say something. I don't remember saying that either. Have you ever been there where you get something, you know, it doesn't even necessarily mean what the, the purpose of the message, but God is able to supernaturally do something and meet each of us right where we're at. So this morning, so we can get ready, I'm going to ask us to do something real simple. We're just going to ask you to ask you to repeat after me a simple, simple prayer. It goes like this. Dear God, I want something from you today. I need something from you today. And I'm ready. I am ready to receive what you have for me this Easter morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So why do we pray that? Well, it goes along the same lines. I don't know if you got to see our uh, banner out front, but it, it said, hunting for more this Easter. Did anyone get to see that? You're driving by, we put it up there. It really stood out to me. I saw that. I saw uh, the, the kind of the slogan somewhere. And I actually asked uh, our D- David Rogers to design it for us. And so he designed that and we put up on a banner. Hunting for something more this Easter. Because Easter comes along and we kind of have an idea of what that means. A lot of hard-boiled eggs left over. Right? For some of us, you go, oh, too much candy. We buy, we, 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 we as parents, we go out, we buy all this candy, and then we tell our kids, no, don't eat too much. Well, we shouldn't have bought so much. But, but are we hunting for more? Now, I love the holidays. When the holidays roll around, like many people, I, got, I have my thoughts, I have my ideas of what each holiday should look like. I'm sure none of you have that at all. Um, in fact, it's those thoughts, those ideas that, that I had about what holidays should look like that, that sometimes forced my wife, Shannon, and I to grow. When we first got married, we had different ideas about the holiday, how the holidays were supposed to go. I thought we should do it this way. She thought we should do it that way. Visit family? Yes. No. I don't know. Presents on Christmas Eve? Yes. No. 
right? You, you ever have those, those moments? You, you come together in that moment. How about Easter Bunny? Do we do the Easter Bunny? Do we even do Easter eggs? Good morning. Welcome. Oh, you're great. It's great to have you here this morning. You know, how about, you know, do we like jelly beans or chocolate eggs? Right? See, my wife is a jelly bean person. It, she is, she's one of these people who doesn't necessarily like chocolate. Can you believe it? Now, I, on the other hand, love chocolate. So these are just kind of, these were some very serious discussions. <laughs> but we have all these ideas of what the holidays are supposed to, to look like. And, and, you know, and I do. I love holidays. Even today after church, we're going to get together. And we've got, a, we've got a crazy family. We're going over to Josh's house. And, and we're going to just, you know, spend some time and, and eat. And, and, you know, holidays are a great time for fellowship. But there has to be more. Do you ever just feel that? You know, do you ever just get to the end or to get into a holiday or get into an event? And you go, Lord, there's got to be more than this. You know, if you've hosted the if you've hosted the day and everyone leaves and you're left with the mess and you think, what is all this about? There has to be more. So what about you this morning? What are you hunting for? Are you hunting for more? You ever thought about about that as we as we come this morning? And, you know, one of the, the, the tricks, I believe, of the devil, and I believe there's a devil. I believe that there's one God, one king, one Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe there's a devil. And I believe one of the devil's greatest tricks is to just keep us busy. You know, there, there, in fact, there's that, that old acronym that busy stands for being under Satan's yoke. Busy, B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. And, you know, we're just running constantly, running, 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 running. And here we go. We're, we go from one thing into the next. And here now it's Easter time. And, and, and we don't even have time to, to really think. And we just get in there. But slow down the train. When it catches up, see, that's often when we start running again. Isn't it true? We slow down just long enough to say, I don't like what I'm feeling. I don't like what's happening. I just need to go again. I'm going to call a friend going to watch a movie. I'm going to do something, but we're going to slow down long enough this morning to let it catch up and say, what am I hunting for? What am I looking for? There's more. There's more. I think this morning, and this is not a traditional Easter message. Um, You know, we're not going to read all the passages of what happened. We'll make references, but, but, but this morning as we were going, I just really felt impressed that we needed to really begin to think about this. What are we hunting for? And in that process for me, I began to think about the disciples, the early Christians. And they weren't called Christians yet, but what were they hunting for? How about when Jesus went to the cross? What about the average Joe? Or in this case, the average Jew? What was he hunting for? What, what did he want? What was he looking for in his life? For us, at least maybe the little ones, we won't admit this. We're looking for bunnies and peeps and Cadbury eggs and colored eggs that some of you don't even eat, but you die every year anyways, right? What are we looking for? What were they looking for? Why'd you come today? I hope you got a taste of the yummy snacks, but that's not the reason we came. Friends, family. It's Easter. We need to go to church at least once a year. Right, honey? You got to go to church. It's Easter. You know, whatever the reason that we came, we're all hunting. And I think we're all hunting for more. We're on a mad dash looking for something more. As Randy Stonehill song, if anyone's familiar with that, that's an old name, Randy Stonehill. He had a song called Great Big Stupid World. It's just a great big stupid world spinning round and round. And that's sometimes how it feels. And what are we here about? And we're looking for things. We're longing for things. And not just physical, tangible items. But that's often what we're looking for. A new home. A new car. A bigger TV. A new boyfriend or a new girlfriend. Husband, wife. We're looking. We're we're searching. Sometimes we're looking for intangible things. Peace, joy, freedom from worry or depression, freedom from anxiety. 
Maybe you need to be freed from an oppressive work situation. Or maybe you're looking for a work situation because you don't have one. We're looking for things. We want religion or we want freedom from religion. Some people want more structure in their lives. Some people are hunting for less structure in their lives. Constantly looking, hunting. So what about us this morning? When we hear the word hunt at Easter, we immediately start thinking, well, that's what we do after church, right? Some of you got up early and did it before church. We're going to hide the eggs and we're going to do an Easter egg hunt. So what about those early Christians? Though they weren't yet called Christians, what were they hunting for? I don't think they were that different than us. Individually, they, they were different. One person wanted one thing. One, uh, one person wanted something else. And the things that we wanted, are, of course, are different today than they were back then. I'm sure nobody back in Jesus' time was looking for the new Samsung Galaxy S5. This is only the three, and the S5 looks pretty cool. But they were looking for things. Maybe back then they were looking for a new Mustang, or at least a donkey. Their lives were a lot simpler. They had a lot more need than we do. They were probably looking for things more like, can I get a new water pot? Mine broke. Can I have a a bigger garden to feed my family with, cleaner water. They were hunting for tangible things also, but they were also hunting for the intangible, the peace that we all are longing for in our life. They were looking for those things of the heart that that is, is common to man, that when we don't have them. I believe they struggle with depression like we do at times. Common to both of us and them, they were probably looking for their kids to start having kids so they could be grandparents. You know, some of you got it to that stage. There was, a, there was some things, but they were hunting. You know, how about politically? And this is where, where Jesus came into the moment for a lot of the Jews. Politically, I think most Jews wanted freedom. See, the Jews were under an oppressive Roman government. And not only were they under that, but, but for the previous 600 years, they pretty much spent the most, most of that 600 years under another government. They, were, they, weren't a, they weren't free. They wanted to be free. And it's that place that Jesus came on to the scene. Is if it's getting warm, we can either turn on a fan or crack a door. I'm a little warm up here. but um, you know, When Jesus came on to the scene, he began to walk with the disciples. He began to call his disciples. He spent three years with them. And we're celebrating today the culminations of the three years that Jesus spent with his disciples. In this whole last week, we call it Holy Week. And it, and it began with, with Palm Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the donkey. And he was coming in and the people were tearing down the palm branches yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. And a lot of us don't even know that Hosanna means save us. Save us. They were screaming out. They were hunting for salvation. You know, when you read the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they were hunting for salvation too. But they weren't hunting for eternal salvation. There was a difference. When we say the word salvation in the Christian church, we automatically think of salvation from our sins and heaven. They weren't thinking that way. They wanted to be saved from the government oppression. They wanted to be saved from something a little more tangible. And so these people were ushering Jesus in last week, last Sunday. Pastor Jeff brought the, the Palm Sunday message and they were screaming, Hosanna, save us. And less than a week later, those same people were screaming, crucify him. You were fickle, so fickle, so incredible. We don't even know what we want. But see, what, what, what changed? And was it the exact same crowd? I believe it might have been some of the same people. When they found out that Jesus wasn't going to give them what they wanted, they changed. Because they were hunting for something. They, the Jews, wanted to be free from Rome, so they were looking for a king. They wanted a king to come and save them from the governmental rules so they could live their faith in God out without being under the tyranny of Rome. 
They thought they needed a, a king, a savior in the line of King David. They were looking for a man to come and free them. But that's not what they needed, and that's not what Jesus came. What about the other people he encountered? I was thinking about this and looking at the events of Easter week. We have so many of the disciples and Mary Magdalene. And on Friday, if you got a chance to go to one of the good Friday services, they're heavy. They're, they're, they're not light. They're not a fun time because they focus on what Jesus did. And on Friday was the representation when he went to the cross. And he went through all the stages of the cross and the scourgings and the beatings. And I try to think, what were the disciples thinking? What was Mary, who was one of the last people standing at the cross after Jesus gave up his spirit and died? What was she thinking? What were they thinking? We find by reading the the story that they didn't truly understand what was happening until he rose again. Their hope was dead. Their ideas were gone. What will we do? Each one knew Jesus in a different way, but I, I believe that they all had some things in common. They all had an idea of what Jesus would bring, what Jesus was able to do. And I started thinking of us and how this all worked together. And we're all hunting for something as they were too. But are we hunting for the right thing? And do we understand who the real Jesus is and what he came to do? In his walking on the earth, there's a couple of things that that I discovered and want to talk about. Just three simple things this morning that when Jesus walked on this earth, he didn't change everybody. You know, we tend to think that on Easter, uh, on that, the whole events of, of Good Friday and then the resurrection Sunday morning, that it was this massive event. But, you know, relatively few people were impacted by it. Relatively a few, just a few in the scheme of things. He didn't change everybody. Now, he provided the way for everybody to be changed. But the people he came in contact with, he didn't change everybody he came in contact with. A few weeks ago, as we're walking through the book of John, we were in in chapter 5, we talked about how Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda. And Bethesda was the place where the lame would go, the, the sick would go, and when the water would stir up, they would try to get into the pool, and whoever got in first would be healed. And there were probably hundreds of people at this pool. And Jesus healed how many of them? One. You know, Peter, James and John were walking to the, the, the gate beautiful and, and there was the beggar and he wanted alms and they said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Do you remember that story? Do you know Jesus walked by that gate all the time and he never healed him? Jesus didn't change everybody. The Pharisees came out to watch Jesus all the time. Question him, look at him, watch him. And yet they remained unchanged. Second thing we find in reading about Jesus and and even through the events of the cross, the crucifixion and the resurrection, that Jesus did not do what they wanted him to. Jesus didn't do what the people wanted him to do. Not just the, the, those that were outside of his camp. He didn't even do what the disciples wanted him to. How about the sons of, of Zebedee? Let's go, to, let's go to Mark chapter 10. We do open the Bible sometimes here. And I'm thankful... In the scheme of things that God doesn't always do what we want him to do. You might, you might think of some situations that you want him to do something and realize that might not have been a good plan. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35, we see great faithful men of God who have no, they're selfless. And they come to Jesus and they say, James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him saying, teacher, 
we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> That's kind of bold. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And, you know, sometimes you just think, how did Jesus say that? I mean, I, I would say it with a giggle. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? You know, I don't know if he was harsh with them or just, wow. And he says, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. You know, there's 12 of these guys. And these positions, when you're talking about being a leader, a king in Israel, the right hand and the left hand, they are very prominent. This isn't just, can we sit next to you at Carl's Jr.? I mean, this is really serious stuff. They're going, I don't care about the other 10. We want to be here. And Jesus answers them, and it's a pretty serious answer. And he, and he starts telling them, hey, where I'm going, you don't want to go. You can't drink the cup. But they wanted him to do things. Peter didn't want Jesus to go. He didn't want him to turn himself in in the Garden of Gethsemane. So there's a lot of things that Jesus didn't do, even though the people wanted him to. So Jesus, when he walked on the earth, even through his crucifixion and his resurrection, he didn't change everybody. And he didn't always do what they wanted him to do. The third thing is what he did do, he didn't always do in the way they expected him to. You know, Jesus had a way of, of doing things different. Now, I, I remember years ago when, when I was first saved, and it probably still happens today. Somebody gets a hold of a revelation, an idea, a thought about how God is doing something. And often it's because maybe they've seen God move. I remember there was a, there was, there was a time, and it was kind of a, a movement where God was, was growing out legs. And, and people saw it, and, and, and there were some miracles where maybe somebody had a, a slightly leg longer than the other. And so some people got a hold of that, and then every time they prayed for someone, they just would hold out the leg and just command the legs to grow. But that's always what they did. See, God had done something, and they said, well, there must be something to this, so we'll always use this as a method, as a means. You know, we put God in a box, and... He does things differently than we expect him, and he does them in a different way than we, we expect. How did Jesus heal? He commanded. He told people to go wash in a pool. He hawked a loogie. I, you're sitting there. Yeah, I want to see. Okay, just a second. <laughs> Why did he do it? Could Jesus have done the same thing to heal everybody? Absolutely. But he didn't. And that's because he wants us to understand that he's got a way to do things, and we just need to let him be God and not expect him to act the way we expect him to act. The woman at the well wanted living water so she didn't have to go and keep getting the water. Jesus had a different plan and he was going to do it a different way. Jesus doesn't do things the way we expect him to and he didn't do the things the way his disciples expected him to either. So if he he didn't change everybody he came in contact with. That could be really discouraging because we could be sitting in this sanctuary this morning going, you know, I'm seeking something. I'm hunting for something and I'm hoping it's here. I'm hoping it's in God. It's, it's got to be something because I need a change. And now the pastor says that God doesn't change everyone. No, he doesn't. But who does he change? Those who look to him for change. Blind Bartimaeus, on the side of the road, I want to see. Son of David, have mercy on me. The woman who had the issue of blood, she wanted a touch and she went and she got a hold of Jesus and touched his garment 
and she was changed. The disciples who stuck with Jesus till the end and followed him, they were changed. Those who turned back, they weren't. Judas spent a lot of time with Jesus. He was there up until the very end, and yet he betrayed him. He didn't allow Jesus to really change him. But those who look to Jesus for change, those who accept what Jesus had, they're changed. See, it's up to us to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need a change. I need you. But then the next two points have to come in because he says, well, he changes those who who seek him, who come to him, who ask. But if he didn't do what they wanted, what did he do? Let's go to John 14, 31. I love this passage. See, Jesus never got lost in, in doing what the people wanted him to do. 1431. And the second half, we'll read the whole verse. It says, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, that's the wrong one. <laughs> I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking for it. I wrote down the wrong scripture. Jesus was talking about, he says, what do I do? Exactly what the Father commands me. So simple. And Jesus wants to do the things that the Father commanded him. He didn't get lost in doing just what the people wanted. So he knows the beginning from the end. He sees it all and he knows what's best. And he does what's best. He doesn't do what's easiest. So we get lost in that sometimes. Lord, do this, do this, do this. This would be a lot easier. But sometimes God has a plan to take us through the battle, through the trials, to grow us up on the other side. Romans 8, 28, we, we know this scripture, we, we rely on it, we misquote it all the time, so we want to make sure we get it right this morning. The Bible says that God works all things for the good. We know that scripture, right? It goes on, though, it says God works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not everything that happens is, is good, and God doesn't make everything good. There's a lot of stuff in the world that's just bad. But he can turn all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when we have these things, these issues in our life, and that they're not going well, we need to say, well, Lord, I love you and I want to be called according to your purpose. I want to submit unto your plan and not walk away from it right now and go through it. There's been a, a lot of times... In my life that I wanted God to do A, B, and C. And looking back, I'm certainly glad he did D, E, and F. Amen? I mean, you know, we think we've got this thing under control, but we're, we're just mistaken. We're, we're lost. Thank God he's not the genie. You know, you, 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 the genie movies are great because in, it, invariably somebody makes the wrong wish. All right, there's always something bad about the wish that we make and the genie does something because he does just what we say and it comes out bad. He doesn't do what we want to do, but he does exactly what the Father sees, what the Father commands. And how does he do it? Differently. You can look back at the times that now you can see how God moved in your life, and you said, man, I wouldn't have done it that way, God. You ever honest to say it? We just think it. Man, I wouldn't have done it that way, God. But he does it differently because he sees the end and he wants to bring us to the right place for us. We become many gods as we approach even Jesus because we begin to give him our orders. See, we're used to that. We drive through the drive-thru and we tell him what we want. We tell him we don't want ketchup, but we want onions. 
We want a fresh baked bun, not just the regular bun. Can you make that a protein wrap? When I was living in Guatemala, it always bugged me the way they ordered their food at restaurants and places. And now it's happening here. See, I was raised with manners. We, we said please and thank you. So when I go to a restaurant, I say please to the waitress and waiter. When I was in Guatemala, now I'm not saying that it's, it's partly just the language and I was only there for three years, so I don't understand the culture of it. But they say, dame, dame un, un coke, porfa. It's not even porfa sometimes. Give me, give me a coke, dame, right? It sounds so rude. Give me. My mom would fly down to Guatemala and slap me if I talked like that. <laughs> I've been listening in restaurants lately, have you? We're doing the same thing. Gimme, 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 gimme. I want, I want, I want. Gimme, gimme. I want, I want. We can't do it that way. We don't, he doesn't act on the way we want him to. He does it differently. He does what he says is right for us. And our job is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and submit to him and really trust that he has a plan, that he has something good for us and hang on with all our might because sometimes the road is rough. You know, there's, there's gospels, there's people preaching that, you know, God just wants to give you the best life. Malarkey. You know, I mean, there's just sometimes it's rough. The Bible says in this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's what we celebrate on Easter is the overcoming Christ. He overcame. And if we put our faith and trust in him, we will overcome with him. What are we hunting for? God has something for each of us this morning. When I really begin to think of the important things, the newer car, the house, those things begin to fade away. Hey, I'm human. You know, I, we drew, our, our, our Suburban's a 2000 Suburban's got 180,000 miles on it. We're starting to go, well, we want a new car. You know, I think it's kind of normal. But when I begin to think of the things that are important, I say, God, just keep my car running. In John 14, 27, and this was that last passage when Jesus was, was in the garden walking up to the Garden of Gethsemane just before he's betrayed. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give it as the world gives. What are you hunting for? Well, I know that one thing most of us need in here is peace. The, the world isn't offering much peace, and they're just throwing more things at us so we can just keep moving. We know the passage, Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. What is that? That's... Fruit comes naturally. You don't have to work for it. So this natural byproduct of having the Spirit of God in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, when we're saved, when we're giving our lives to the Lord and the Spirit is living in our lives, then the fruit of our lives will be love and joy. Already I'm going, I can take some of that. Peace. Long suffering. Kindness. <laughs> we don't always like that one. Long suffering. Pastor Jeff always taught that means suffering for a long time. It's patience. Kindness. Goodness. Let me go back to kindness. I can use kindness in my life. I love it when people are kind to me, but you know, there's an, the other side of that. This is what it's talking about is will be kind. Now, some of you, 
I know some of, some of you are naturally kind. Some of you have to work a little bit harder at it. You mean, yeah? It's just those people. They just, they're just not really that kind. And they gotta, yeah, they got to work at it. But when you allow the spirit to move and, 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 and when you're kind to somebody, it comes back. I mean, it's wonderful. Kindness is, I can, t- I can take some of that. Some of you can too. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. You know, when I'm dealing with my wife, I need gentleness. Men, come on. We need to be gentle. Doesn't mean be a pansy. You can be strong and be gentle. We need the fruit of the Spirit, and we need that in our lives. Self-control. Come on. We need this. See, our lives are out of whack because we don't have self-control so much of the time. You know, we're running around working because we bought too many things we can't afford, and now we have to work harder, and we're just, we're just spinning. God, let the Spirit of God live in us, and let the fruit of the Spirit begin to come. Give us self-control. You know, against these things, there is no law. This is, this is good. So what are we seeking? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. What are you hunting for this Easter? Hope is a good one. A future. But it's not found in natural, tangible things. It's found in Christ. It's found in a relationship with Him. He's not the genie that we just get to command and say, I just need this fixed and fix this. And then I'll take it from there. Like the guy who was riding his, his, his dirt bike. I like to ride dirt bikes, and maybe we'll get to do that today. I don't know. But, and uh, he, he got too close, and he fell off his bike and slid right off an edge. And, and right as he started falling, he grabbed onto a little tiny finger ledge, and he's hanging there off of a really high cliff. And he starts doing what any of us, of us would do. He starts bargaining with God. Well, God, I know I haven't talked to you much, but if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you. I'll follow you. Right then the ground started shaking. A tree grew up about 10 feet away from the cliff and a root shot out the side right to where he was, where he's able to climb onto the big tap root, step on it, get to the top of the cliff. Right about the time that he got to the top of the cliff, he says, never mind, God, I got it. That's not how we live. You know what we need goes along. See, we want the hope and we want the peace. We want God to come and fix all our boo-boos. But see, it comes when we receive something else. See, we're a sheep, and he wants to give us eternal life. John 10, 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So there's, there's a test for us. Are, we, are, are you a sheep? Well, if you're following Jesus, that's a good sign that you might be a sheep. If you're not following Jesus, try to figure it out. And he says, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Don't you want to be secure? Something about being secure is so important. My sheep know my voice. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one snatches them out of my hand. Lord Jesus. What is eternal life? John 17 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, 
Eternal life is found in no one else. It's not just something we imagine or muster up. It's not just that everyone lives eternally and it's all good and let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But we must know God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. John 3.16, we know this scripture. Most of us know this scripture, but we need to hear it again. God loved. He didn't hate. He didn't want command. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that anyone who believed in him should not perish. He doesn't want us to perish. We're perishing every day because of we're going into this lack of hope and the despondency and the things that are coming crashing against us. But there's a day that's coming that's going to be far worse than the deepest, darkest depression you've ever experienced on this earth. And that's eternal. Eternal death. He says, but God loved us so much that he gave his only son. And that's the Jesus that we celebrate has risen from the grave. So thankful for the worship team this morning. I think they just did such an amazing job ushering in the presence of God and just pointing that Jesus is the victor. You know, the book of Romans chapter three, it says it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, God's got a plan for us, but our sin kept us apart from it. And then a few chapters later, it goes on to say that that what we deserve from that sin is death. But we know that God loved us so much that he didn't want us to perish. And he wants us to give us eternal life. So what? In Acts chapter 3, it's a simple passage. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And I love the last part of this verse because it says, and times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Who needs a time of refreshing? You know, you don't, I, I, need, I need a time of refreshing. I, I need the Lord every day. My need for him doesn't change. It doesn't go away. I've been saved a long time, but I need him. And he commands in Acts 17, all people everywhere to repent. Christians, believers, and those of you in here who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is all people everywhere to repent. We have repenting to do. You know, and I've, I've, I've said this here, we have taught, not, not I don't believe from this church, but I've heard it from so many other churches, the wrong word of repentance People who says repent just simply means to do a 180 and turn to God. But there's, there's, a, there's a Greek word, and, and you know, it, it's made up of two words. And it's, it, the Greek word for repent is metanoia. And meta, we've heard of the things that are meta narrative. Meta means to change. And noia means knowledge, thinking. When you repent, you have to change the way you think. And agree with God in the way he thinks. We can be Christians and still be thinking the wrong way. We have to change the way we think. And agree with him. And our culture is absolutely contrary to that. It teaches do what you want. Live how you want. But he says no. Repent. Change your thinking. And when you change your thinking, here's the great thing. Times of refreshing are going to come. Wow. You know, that might work because what I've done and what you've done isn't. You know what the definition of an insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Let's change. Let's change our thinking. Let's change the way we're doing it and say, God, I need to agree with you about me and my situation. And so we, Romans 10 says that we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And see, this is the call for salvation. But I believe that salvation is much more involved than sometimes we allow. I don't believe God just gives us salvation from our sins so we can go to heaven. But he wants us to, he wants to save us from our sins here on this earth. He wants to deliver us. He doesn't want us to live in the squalor. 
He wants to live inside of us. He wants to give us victory over death and even over sin. I don't, I don't think we can ever be sinless, but I think we can sin less. He doesn't want us to be trapped in all the junk that we've been caught in. He wants to give us victory. I get excited about that. And I've seen it in my life. He has given me victory over struggles and temptation. He wants to live in us. He wants to bring us those times of refreshing here on this earth. He doesn't just want us to suffer and live in the squalor and then finally die and go to heaven and then everything's good there. He's got a plan to bless us, not financially often like what we think, but he wants to give us peace and joy. We read Romans 8, 28 earlier, but if you go nine verses later, verses 38, actually 37, 38 and 39... They're amazing verses. If you're taking notes, write them down. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, powers, things in the present, nor things to come. Not even the things that are not, not even here yet. No height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me and you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're more than conquerors. And as we're in him, nothing can separate us from his love. Amen. So we need to repent and confess. Change our thinking. Get, get bold and get open with God. God, you know how I think and you know what I do. And it's not working. That we, the Bible says that confess that Jesus is Lord. And what does Lord mean? We got to understand this. This isn't just, well, he's the guy, he's the big guy upstairs. You know, he and I, we're buds. It says that he's the Lord. You know what that means? He's the master. We don't, we don't like that term unless it's a lock. A master? Yeah, he wants to be your master. But he's a good master. You know, there were good men, and these were just men who had slaves that when their slaves were freed, they stayed. In the Old Testament, if you were a slave and wanted to stay with your master, they, every seven years they let the slaves go. They could say, I want to stay with you. And they would take their ear and they would pierce it with an awl on, on, the, on, the po- on a bench post. And that would say that you were volunteering to stay and be a volunteer slave for the rest of your life. Why would they do that? Because the master was good. And he cared for those in his house. And that's just a man. God is not a man. But he's our master. And when we say, Jesus, you are Lord, that is putting everything in our life. As Charles Spurgeon said, consecrate everything, all part of me. Everything is set apart under your care. It's all yours. I'll do it your way. Not like the old song. I did it my way. That hasn't been working so well, has it? He's got wonderful things. But we come to him on this celebration of his resurrection where he says, I overcome every obstacle. Pretty hard to overcome death. What he went through, you don't come back from. You know, on the cross, they put the spear in his side. When they did that, likely what happened is they pierced the heart and the sack around the heart and the blood and water coming out was an absolute proof. These guys, the Romans, they knew how to kill people. They knew how to do it. They didn't make a mistake and Jesus was almost dead. 
he was dead. And if he can overcome that, he can overcome anything in your life. And he will as we give him our lives. Let's bow our heads this morning. Now, I want to give an opportunity, and I've shared the scriptures, but I want to give an opportunity for anyone who sit in here this morning and all the heads are bowed. And, 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 and this is just to make really everyone feel comfortable because I'm going to ask if you're sitting in here this morning and says, I have never made Jesus my Lord. I've known about him, but I've never said I will, I will be yours. You will be my master. Forgive me of my sins. And gone through the process of the scriptures I read, confessing that I'm a sinner and you're the Lord. If you have not done that, but you want to do that this morning, I'm just going to ask you to, to raise your hand and say, I need you, Jesus. Just slip up your hand if that's you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. What's so important is Jesus sees your hand. And he will take you at your word. He will take you at your commitment. If you're in here this morning and you've, you've done that, you've, you've made that confession in the past, but you know that where you're at is, is not where God has of you and that, that you've allowed thinking to come in and, and take you off of the path and that you're lacking these, these things that we we're talking about, that you've been hunting for the wrong things. And you want to come back to his plan for your life. I ask you to raise your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you've seen these hands and you know the heart. You know what's going on inside of each and every one of us. We'll all pray a prayer something like this. You can do it quietly to the Lord, but we'll pray and say, Lord, forgive me. I've walked away from you. I haven't lived the way you've desired for me. And I need you. I need you to be my Lord. God, I want to go to heaven, but I also want to have victory on this earth. I want to have everything that you had promised. I thank you that I'm a new creation in you. And as I put my faith and trust in you that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that I will go to heaven, God, but I pray that you would help me to live for you. God, I thank you for this celebration Sunday, this resurrection Sunday that you overcame the grave. And that you will help me overcome all my obstacles as I trust in you. Father, we thank you for this, for this morning, for the opportunity and the time together. We commit our lives afresh to you, knowing that you are the only one who has the words of eternal life. We commit ourselves to follow you, to live for you. We thank you for living inside of us. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.